You're listening to In Between Agencies, a podcast dedicated to musicians and the individuals who support them. I'm your host, Bryce Birdsall, and today we are sitting with Dominic Prosser, who is here from London. Hey. <laughs> he is an artist manager, a sound engineer, venue owner, radio host, tour manager. Uh, you run festivals, you wear many a hat, and you are definitely a jackknife of a human being, so... Uh, I would say ex venue manager and owner. Oh, well, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> um, the way that we met was uh, you are the manager for Goya Kumbani, who mm-hmm. we just had the pleasure of speaking with. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about how you met? Um, we met super organically. He, he used to work in a, a shop called Present that we always we used to just hang about this shop it just had nice clothes and, and a very nice atmosphere it was owned by the same guy that started Duffer of St George and Duffer was a very important shop for us in London and uh, it was kind of just a continuation of that vibe and there's a guy there called Jude uh, Judah who is one half of Deviation he's a very old friend of mine from Plastic People days and he introduced me to Goya and said that I should listen to the music. And Goya at that point was making music, but he wasn't of a mind to release it, or he wasn't ready to release it, or he wasn't ready to perform it. Um, so we just stayed in touch and just hung out and got on really well. And um, it was just a very natural thing. I I I I didn't the way. I've managed people in the past before, and uh, the, the, you know you put you invest so much into it that I I didn't I can't invest that much into someone that doesn't trust me and doesn't understand me and I don't understand them. And it's, it's a very mutual thing, but it's a it's a very intense relationship to get into. So we took our time and uh, all the better for it. I think. Yeah. I feel like artist management is is definitely something where you give up a lot of yourself in order to, or maybe not necessarily give up, but you create so much space for someone else to be able to be themselves. And I know that that can be, uh, like you've mentioned, a very big investment, but I think that the way that your relationship is, it sets you up for long-term success. Yeah, I think give more than give up, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't... I feel like my life is a lot better for having Goya in it. He uh, constantly impresses me. He's a very good friend. He looks out for me. We look out for each other. We're, it's my life is better for it, and I'm I'm very grateful be, for being at the um, point of creation and seeing the very be, being lucky enough to be at the, the point of creation and being a part of it and seeing it happen. It's it's, it's a real gift and a pleasure but yeah and and you know what I still like the music man it's like <laughs> I can't tell you how you know I still like the music no. No. how did you know that music was going to be something that you were going to dedicate your life to um I don't think I did I just enjoyed music and I was given music by lots of people in my life my uncle my mum, friends, older brothers of friends, 
they they gave me musical moments and points of epiphanies you know realizations and and you know every one of those doors opening my uncle gave me Frank Zappa that was a big door for me my mum gave me Nina Simone and that was a big door for me and you know all of those doors opening they just lead you into this world and then and then it was just an inevitable I tried to do other things but I wasn't very good at them and I couldn't really be bothered <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when you fight back on something or you're like I'll, I'll get to it I'll do that or maybe that's not necessarily for me when it comes to like a professional thing and then it has its way of nagging and knocking and opening doors when you weren't really looking yeah, I think one of the things I'm, I'm, I try and stay quite present and try and stay in the moment. I think I always have, and that definitely isn't always good because there isn't a lot of premeditation, and there isn't. But I just try and follow my heart, and it's just led me here, and I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, it's, you're at, you're at a very, very, very beautiful point in your life, and it's so mm, thank you from an outside looking in. It's such a such a pleasure to have met you on this part of the journey and um like yeah. I said before I mean it's a massive pleasure meeting someone that um does things with so much intention and so much uh good energy and and for the sake of the music itself or the moment itself it's that's you know trying to stay as close to the as close to the coal face as possible, you know. It's 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 really humbling, and thank you for bringing us here. No, thank you. I'm I'm so I'm so thrilled. It's all very 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 full circle. Um, how is how has radio played a role in the development of your personal taste, and then what you do on a day to day basis? How does that keep you focused and excited? I don't know about focused. I don't know how focused I think I'm very focused. <laughs> quite excited definitely um i just love the again you know it's about being at that point of creation there's something about live radio that's so um satisfying and exciting you know we did the nts show live from new york yesterday and you know did it in my our friends club and set it all up and it's exciting and you know the moment it's about you're about to go live and you know like the way that we do radio which is very free form to say the least is um keeps it exciting because there's a lot of jeopardy you know I, I didn't I had no records with me when I came to New York and I had to buy the records that I was playing on the radio so you know I didn't know what I was going to find oh. yeah. and um didn't know who was going to be on the radio we brought you on that was like we brought Tito on brought everything like it's you know, it's so nice to be able to react to a place like that and then be able to express that reaction with the place on a radio. I think it's, it's super, it's, it's great. And also doing radio with Goya is so easy because mm. he has the greatest radio voice. And if you fuck up, he just says something funny and laughs and then we're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A natural buffer <laughs> without He's being so too natural. far. He's so natural. It's unbelievable. No. He's so funny too. I had no idea that he was so... I, I mean, I've spent a little bit of time with him, but not as much as you guys have. Oh, yeah, he he's funny. makes me laugh. <laughs> the yeah. effects box. The stand-up Goya, that's... If, if, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I was just about to reveal the game plan, but I'm just going to keep No, I love that. I love that. Why the name Chicken Foot Soup? Uh, no. Just 
because like because NTS is nuts to soup mm. and uh, I don't know it's just kind of like a it's 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 just yeah it's, it's a soup is a is a combination of its ingredients and uh, it's a hearty welcoming satisfying thing mm. and that is completely reverse engineered that name yeah because I have no idea it's <laughs> <laughs> okay I'll take it I'll take it. <laughs> Um, what about nightlife? Not necessarily like the concept what of about being... nightlife. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you worked in it in a specific capacity in the terms of music, mm. but do you think that there's a flexibility of working at night that lends itself to the way your brain works or the way that you interact with wor- the world? Not necessarily like club, club, but just... Oh, I see. Nightlife, not nightlife. Um, <laughs> I've done nightlife... Ever since I was a young, very young person, I was always awake at night and sleeping in the morning. And I like being awake when everybody else is asleep. I like the romance and mystery, and and I just I like the night time, and which is lucky because I ran a nightclub for thirteen years and opened another couple and have spent a large majority of my life in in nightlife and live music and uh yeah but it's debilitating as well you know you you work at night it's it's getting older is uh yeah yeah it's a bitch isn't it it's a bitch (laughs) what do you think about when it comes to live music what makes a really beautiful live act for you um live music is very important for me uh, because it is the culmination for me it's the culmination of uh, all the work that's gone into the music and it's the the rawest point of sharing it with people and in the perfect setting uh, a live performance is a collaboration between the act and the artist and and the and the audience and if you get the right audience that gives to the moment um, and you get the right artist which is able to take that and, and, and create something new something something uh, spontaneous is, is incredible you can never see it again um, and, and nightlife and live music as a, as a, as a type of dissemination of, of culture is, is very exciting for me it's, it's the most it's what's driven me my whole sort of inverted commas career was was there one live show when you were younger that you saw that that sparked the love for it or is it is it the culmination of many an evening no there isn't really one live show that that sticks out as a sort of instigator and there's lots of live moments that, that i've done since but i don't think there's one instigator the first live show I ever saw, my dad knew someone that managed a band called Frankie Goes to Hollywood, who had a big hit with Relax. It was kind of like a underground uh, gay club band that kind of had a crossover hit. So we went to see it at the Hammersmith Apollo, and we got really good tickets on the balcony directly in front. My dad put me up there and he goes, right, I'm going back to the car to smoke fags. <laughs> And uh, I sat there by myself as like a 14, maybe 13 year old, just 
watching the spectacle and I guess, I guess that did have a formative effect on me but um, yeah I, yeah I, I don't know lots of moments since though yeah do you like seeing shows by yourself yeah yeah I like I like going out by myself and uh, yeah I like going out by myself it, it offers you a kind of mobility and a sort of you're able to move around it's nice bumping into people when you're out of course I don't want to be alone but <laughs> it's fun going out by yourself I like it because when you go to a concert you can stand where you want to stand <laughs> yeah versus when you go with a big group and they're like they're very cool and they want to stand in certain places I'm like I want to be right next to the stage <laughs> right next to the it's monitor. harder to be part of the group dynamic I mean the group as in the room mm-hmm. uh, if, if you're with other people if you're by yourself you can immerse yourself in the, in the moment of of uh, of watching of watching Whatever, if it's like a football match or if it's like there's something powerful about a group of people focused on on one moment and, and tying their emotions to that externalizing thing I think the best example of that that I've seen personally was Jamie XX for the first time. And I, I really do love his music, And it, but it, there was something about it. I mean, there's a festival setting where there's something communal there, but when it was this particular show, he played one song that was very, um, he played one song that was very, there's a voiceover to it and it has it talks about like letting go and mm. all these different things and like you just felt like the energy of everyone in the stadium because they did it at Forest Hills where it's like mm. kind of an outdoor stadium with the floor area mm. and it was it was so beautiful yeah I've done I've, I've, I've done many many gigs with him and he's an interesting character in that he is he's not an extrovert but no. but his he really speaks through his music, and his performance is very much about the music because he's not a performer per se. I mean, he's he's very good at what he does, but he's not doing it to wear gold lame tights and like high heels and like he's <laughs> yeah, which kind of makes it even you know if somebody like that is able to express themselves through music, it makes it somehow a bit even more poignant, you know, because they're exp- expressing a deep truth. Yeah. Like Ennio Morricone on the plane here, we watched a documentary about Ennio Morricone and he's, he's one of my touchstones in music and I think he has incredibly evocative uh, emotional music. But I, I didn't know that he was so introverted as a human being. You, know? mm. you can tell, I think, with Jamie XX specifically that he is a bit more introverted because he, he stands and he's quiet and he's into it, but he's like into the moment with himself. And I think that translates mm. through the speakers in a way. Mm. Versus when you see someone like Fred again, who's like just so joyous that his movements like lead to a really evocative performance. Yeah, I mean, it's people obviously subsume or assume another um, character. In many in many roles in life, but performance is such a poignant moment. Um, we had we ran a very small nightclub, two hundred and fifty capacity, with a night called Yo Yo, and it was a hip hop night, and it was our ten year anniversary, and uh, 
I'm dropping names like crazy. And Mark Ronson bought us a gift for our birthday and it was Nas to perform in our little stupid little club and nobody knew apart from like three people in the room. And I went to the back door, opened the door, Nas is there and he's got his hat on. I'm like, shit, that's fucking Nas. Yeah. But he was he was lidded, you know, he had his eyes down, he had his cap over his eyes, he was really he wasn't he wasn't jazzed, he wasn't like in performance mode. And I was I was like, okay. And you know, it's a packed club and there was no route to the stage except through the club. Mm. So we got the bouncers there and we did the train, you know, bouncer in front, bouncer behind, Nas, his DJ, me, bouncer. And then we go through the club and uh, I told the DJ, the MC, Leo, and he said, make way for my friend, Nasty Nas. And I, I'm literally getting goosebumps thinking about this. Make room for my friend, Nasty Nas. And this packed club goes absolutely ham. And we're walking through the crowd. And as we're walking through the crowd, like Nas, there's two people in front of me, he turns into Nas. I can't really wow. say, I can't. He turned into Nas and then he put one foot on the stage and it was made you look. And then he turned around and looked at me and I'm like, holy shit, it's Nas in my club. <laughs> and he just tore it to pieces. Like He was meant to do three songs, stayed for eight, didn't want to leave, had to go to another gig. But it was a real lesson in like, he became the person that I needed him to become for me to have said that I've seen Nas, mm. you know, he wasn't that guy before. I think, I feel, yeah, it's, it's a very privileged position. I feel great about being there, but it was also a lesson. And I think in both ways, because you can't be that performer Nas every day of the week. <laughs> and it's, you know, that's a very personal, there's a personal Nas. No, it's beautiful. And there's something about a venue Right, and I know we've been talking a lot over the past few interviews that we've talked about, but there's something about holding space, and whether it's a physical space for music to be made or physical mm -hmm. space to participate and share in, and I think there's something that goes into the curation there that is so powerful, and it's not something that everybody can do. It's something that takes so much love and, and pulling from so many inspirations and also being at a certain time. Because catching artists, you know, when they're growing up or mm. when they're in their prime, and that's something it seems like you've had the honor and go and work to curate, you know. Yeah, we were we were a small club, but we were very focused on getting the the the, the we were focused on getting the right people in, and the people that were making interesting, exciting left field music. And if anybody was in town, we were like, you have to this is it, you've got to play here. And we did a lot of first shows with a lot of, lot of big bands, a lot of big artists, a lot of big DJs. And um, we tried, there was no dressing room, there was no, there's no route to stage, there's no shower, there was no, you know, drinks are flowing, but you just tell me what you want, I'll go get you a drink. <laughs> um, so it wasn't, they didn't come for that, they didn't come for the pampering, they didn't come for the sort of making, and feel separate from the crowd that came because the DJ booth was in the floor. They were on eye level with everybody that was in the club. The stage was a foot high and only because otherwise they couldn't have no place to perform. And it was about being on eye level with the audience. 
and being right again, right at the coal face where, you know, where it's really happening, where that, that reaction and relationship with an audience is, is visceral. You can't get away from it. It's right in front of your eyes. It's, it's right there. Mm. There's something really special about that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Do you think you lose intimacy when you change venue size or you change uh, arrangements within a venue? Um, I think, I believe in psychogeography quite, um, why are you laughing? <laughs> it's not it's a religion. A, no, it's amazing. <laughs> I've never heard that term before in my life. Psychogeography is a term that Ian Sinclair uses quite a lot in his books, and it's about physical places um, gaining um, some level of psychic resonance or something or that, that experience that that small place that's had repeated experiences whether they're positive or negative that they have an effect on that space and they leave an impression on that space and um you can feel it more intimately when you're in a small place but you can also feel it in those big places when you just walk into a room and you're like whoa you mm. know? I mean, in New York, I, I'm lucky enough, I went to uh, Electric Ladyland studio. And yeah. Jeez. That room, that, whole, that room downstairs, it's just got so much energy. And it, you know, I've seen a hundred different pictures of different f people that I, I love. That's where Patti Smith did Horses. That's where Stevie Wonder did Inner Visions. That's where, like, you know, it's just endless. I don't want to mention them here, but Beatles were there. <laughs> you know? And whether, whether or not that's a real, whether or not psychogeography is an actual real thing or whether it's just me imbuing that place with energy because I believe in it, it doesn't really matter because the same thing happens. You feel this, this feeling of being in the right place where shit has gone down like, and you feel like you have to, you got to step up. I know artists feel like it. I know when we go to these places and we walk into places, like we, we feel, we know. Hmm. Do you think the audience loses any intimacy at a larger? If you think of like an arena show, I mean, the only one I've ever experienced is, and I ask these questions because I'm very interested, and for me, the perfect size is Webster Hall. It's like just big enough, but also How just small enough. Is that? Oh, I'm, I'm terrible with the visual capacity. Oh, yeah, but. we keep doing it. <laughs> but. Webster Hall must be like, I saw some videos of the Daylight thing the other yeah. day. Absolutely RIP to True Goy to Dove, man. Hmm. Dave. I wish I was at that show because Dave was a real one, man. Yeah. Anyway, I think Webster Hall is probably 1500. 1, yeah, there you go, snap. <laughs> It's about 1,500. That's a big room, to be honest, I, I, you know. But, um, again, I think it's just, it's just the people, the feeling, hmm. you know. I did, you know, we did festivals last year up to 35,000 cap. We did a bunch of, of, of arena shows at around 10,000, and the smallest show I did was probably like 40 people, no less, 25 people for record store day. And, you know, all of those gigs that we did last year, the, whether, whether or not it's big or small, it's all about bringing that 
relationship between the artist and the, the crowd, the, the consumer, the public, as close as possible. And making people feel that feel something, you know? Yeah. That's my fa- I think that's my favorite thing about music when especially when I'm listening to it, I'm a very emotional listener. Mm. I wanna hear the lyrics and I, I wanna make it I want it has to make me feel something. Other pieces of course I can enjoy it because it's technical, but I'm looking for something to make me feel or to verbalize something that I'm feeling that I can't personally express. So. And, and there's a shared emotion of all the people that listen to that individually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more people know the song, the more people that resonate with it on a personal basis, the bigger the, bigger the rush when you share that moment, you know. I think we saw James Mason in um, Jazz Cafe in London James Mason is like a jazz, jazz funk, rare groove, like hero in Britain. And he was old as shit. And he was on stage and he said, they forgot me at home, but you brought me back. Mm-hmm. And then he shook everybody's hand in the audience that wanted to shake his hand. So there was like a cue snaking through the audience. And, uh, you know, that, that was a formative moment for me because it was so emotional, like... In, in Britain, you know, we love that sweet power. Your embrace is, is like an anthem for us. Mm. So to see that person that felt so far away to be there and then shake his hand was crazy. Mm. And that's the one venue I've actually been to. In, Jazz Cafe. Yeah, I've been there. They've um, just done it up. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And it's, it was the first green room I'd ever been in. It's. They're never green. <laughs> this one, I think there was a green table. I'll give them that. <laughs> frustrating uh, no I think <laughs> if that's the worst thing <laughs> <laughs> British green rooms are notoriously bad people ask me where they hate to- where I hate touring the most and I have to say England because the quality of the venues is just fucking it's so bad but the audience is always like we drink way more than everybody else so the audience <laughs> is always jazzed up <laughs> <laughs> It levels itself out naturally. (laughs) Can you talk to me a little bit about Carnival? Oh my god! It's been it's your Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) What? Why do you love it so much? Um, because it's free, and because it's about um, expressing uh, protest in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And it's a black art form that is shared. And it is, uh, I mean, that's the most, most emotional I get about music every year is because we put so much energy into it and it's such an incredibly difficult thing to pull off because, because the police don't want us, because the council don't want us, because the area's changed and the people in Notting Hill don't want us there anymore. But the people on the streets, one and a half million people that come to Carnival every year, they want us to be there. So, yeah. So we find a way. And in the, it's, it's, it's free. There's no barrier. There's no, there's no exchange of... The only exchange is, is separate from the exchange. You know, it's separate from uh, the systemic exchange it's it's an exchange of emotions, an exchange of effort and and will. It's it's also really fucking fun. Yeah, <laughs> that too, <laughs> that part too. But 
it's really beautiful, I think. And, you know, it's fundamental that people understand that it's a protest against the police. It started because there was a riot in uh, Latimer Road, which is very close to Labrick Grove in West London, because, unfortunately, a Scandinavian girlfriend was going home and her boyfriend uh, was a, a black guy and he got set upon by some skinheads and beaten up and when they told the police the police backed the skinheads mm. and so there was a uh, a protest against the police which the police turned into a riot and to mark the anniversary of that the um, the black community and the white hippie sort of left field uh, intellectual community came together in support of it and they started creating these carnivals and um, it's still a protest against the police and the police know that and that's why they treat us like they do hmm. and protest is super important and I think we're losing protest in music reggae's protest music hip hop is protest music it's important that the protest remains Sure, I mean, you know, it doesn't all have to be protest, but I, I, I really truly believe in the, in, in the, in protesting via music. Because it hits so emotionally, like we said, you know, it's a direct, it's a direct, like, it's a direct communication, you know. Mm. And it's so shared. It's shared and it makes you feel so much, and then to do it in a way that there's, I don't know, I think there's something about sound as well, like the, mm. the way it travels, the way we perceive it. Mm. Um, and there's also, it, it, this, if you think about when you're throwing an event like that, at least in New York, you have to have permits specifically for sound outside of the place. Oh, we have to have permits. So that's, that's kind of what I mean. It's almost like a separate thing that like, yes, you can have your booth there if you get the right permit, but then you have to get the additional level just for the sound to be emitted. So it's almost an added layer there as well. I mean, living in a in living in a big city like New York and London, we 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 have to share the same pavement. We have to share the same. We have to share. You know, it's 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 a collaboration. Um, but yeah, you're gonna get me into an anti-capitalist <laughs> rant no. soon. But um, <laughs> you know, as as these areas change, as Notting Hill changes, as the Lower East Side changes, mm. I think uh, without wanting to appear like a, an old guy, it's 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 important for me to kind of keep the lineage of these streets alive mm. and kind of mark the people that have gone through here. And Notting Hill might not be full of immigrants, artists, it might be full of different type of people. I want to mark the passing of those people through that area. It's important. And all those rich people that lived there because the artists lived there that made it cool in the first fucking place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, 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 need, I need to keep this thing going to, as, a, as, a, as a memory of, of respect to the people. And in Carnival also, you know, after the Grenfell tragedy, in Grenfell, for people that didn't know, but like that's a tower block that caught fire and 79 people died in that fire and no one's gone to jail for it. And they died because they put flammable cladding on the outside of the building because they treat 
pull people differently from they treat everybody else in, in Westminster and in, in, in the rich society that we live in. And so we're protesting those lives and we need people to go to jail for that. Yeah, that makes, that makes up a really powerful statement. And thank you for, for doing what you can to, to honor. I'm a tiny little piece in a massive cog. Yeah, but a tiny piece is what makes it all come together, you know? And that's part of it, isn't it? Because you're just giving what you can give. If you can give 16 hours of your day, then that's what you're giving. If you make food, turn up, make food, you know? It's beautiful. To shift from carnival and back to, I mean, it's all connected to music, but when did you start collecting records in a way that, that facilitated continued love? <sighs> straight away, absolutely straight away. I was, my, I was like 13. The guy that gave me my first spliff had a record collection. He played me Tackhead, uh, Beef Hello Can You Go, which is like a British underground, like pre-house sort of song. That was when I was 13, so oh my God, that was like uh, 88. Oh my God. <laughs> so we didn't have TV or, and we just stone tablets. <laughs> but you know, like, at that point in in the eighties and the nineties, you you to listen to the new music, you had to listen to radio, and it was pirate radio because regular radio was fucking pointless. And we had to go to the club, we had to buy the records, and, mm. and that's it. So there was a very physical relationship with music, particularly new music, um, and it just it just became obsessive just from the get go, immediately. And, you know, you meet other people, like I said before, my uncle had a massive record collection, so living with that and, and playing with that and, and enjoying the covers and the physicality and, the, and learning and reading all the backs of them and who the producers and, the, you know, the whole thing, every, every single thing about it is so uh, full of... It was like a massive, untapped world of, of enjoyment. And I just needed to start working it all out. What the fuck is this label? Who's this producer? Why do I like this record so much? What guitar is that? I just needed to know. And I still have no clue. And I have thousands of records. And I'm old as shit. And I still haven't got a single fucking clue. It's amazing. And that's what's beautiful about it. Because it just it's endless. It's, it's beautiful. You're the only person I've ever seen handle records as an extension of yourself. I noticed this yesterday when you were you were you were putting records on on the turntables when you were queuing up music, and the way that you you touch them and the way that you put them back and the way you're not you're not rough and you're not rushed and you're not overly delicate, but it just felt like you were touching all these things that were you were engaging with it as if it was an extension of yourself, and it was really beautiful to see. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I super enjoy seeing the physical pass of time through things. My favorite records have got scratchings on it and little, I love those little DJ stickers they had. And just like, you know, DJ fucking, eh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 
all the little stars next to their favorite songs and when it's bashed up and like when it's been repaired with tape and it's fallen apart i love all that because the records i i like you know they it could be 40 50 years old it could be 20 years old but it's passed for a lot of hands and it's played a lot of times and every time it's played and every time somebody touches it there's a little transferal of something you know and it's and it, it's a patina mm. my friend Mylon who was playing yesterday is completely the opposite he thinks he I thinks, noticed he was so meticulous he and he kept him <laughs> he thinks I'm a psychopath <laughs> I play record I play I didn't, I, I've cleaned like three records in my entire life I don't care <laughs> it's like <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I think it's it's just an individual style, and that's the that's the thing about collecting, you know. Mm. That is is really it's. Um, I've described this before on the podcast, but I think that the only time I've ever embarked on a real treasure hunt where I got to define the what the treasure is is when I decided to start buying records in London. Because yeah. I was like, I don't know what the treasure is, but I'm going to find something. Unknown and, outcomes, man. That is. That is the whole, you know, that's the jeopardy thing, isn't it? It's about allowing yourself to find something that you never knew existed. And, you know, the record that you pulled out, we were talking yesterday about buying records without listening to them. I love buying records without listening to them. Me too. <laughs> and I'm, I know if they're going to be good. I don't, but... <laughs> I know. My thing with it is there's the split second before the needle passes from like the intro part to the actual sound part. Mm -hmm. And that is like, feels like when you, I don't know, it's what I imagine like the big boom or whatever, like it's before mm -hmm. life started and then there's all this sound and you wow. never know what it could sound like if you don't listen Bryce, to it. Bryce, <laughs> you got lyrics, man. <laughs> I have to say, you got lyrics. <laughs> the thing about releasing music, we were just, yeah. Bryce was interviewing Goya earlier and, uh, talking about releasing music and it's a release so that other people can hear it but it's also releasing it from yourself I thought that was very poetic and uh, very nice uh, nice you know we have to look for poetry in life it's not necessarily true but it's it's beautiful and it feels good to 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 sort of embrace it yeah. Yeah. and and that's and, that, and that's what, like collecting is like the romance of, of finding these things and thinking about who's had them before and you know and there's plenty of shortcuts Discogs is the biggest shortcut but it's so not satisfying and you know you can you can go to there's a record stop in um, Brussels called um, Seymour Cassell and I found this shop online because I was looking for something and they had one. And I was like, holy shit, they've got this record. And I looked at all their records they've got, like, oh, my God, everything's good. And I went to Brussels on tour and I went to the shop and I was all super gassed up. And I went in there and, like, they were all mint, all there. Like, literally 200 records, could have bought 150 of those. Great records, had four different covers of the Cantago, Mago. Didn't know two of the other covers existed. It was, like, it was amazing. But it's a shortcut, mm. you know. And I could have bought that Tago Mega record. It was like three hundred and fifty dollars, and I I loved that record, but I didn't buy it because three hundred and fifty records pounds is a fucking ridiculous amount of money to pay for that record. <laughs> but also because I romantically hope that one day I'll be on my knees in a fucking shop in Japan somewhere and flicking through and there, oh, there it is, man. Yep. 
I prefer to wait as well. I mean, that's I like to have one in my mind of like, oh, if I find it, this is the one. But yeah, man, and you know, things pass through your hands. I met my girlfriend in a record in a bookshop. Hmm. Uh, well, I'm not gonna bore the people out here with my romantic story, but um, she's taught me a lot about collecting and and about past things passing through your hands. Because she she's deals in ephemera and, and books and, and posters and stuff and I find it very difficult to let go. If I see something, I gotta fucking have it. Yep. Um but she's quite capable of taking something, enjoying it, learning about it, spending some time with it, and then sending it on to somebody else. And and there's there's it I'm, I'm I think I might be maturing. Mm. <laughs> no, I enjoy it. That's what this like is. Like Goya about. the other day, I got that I got that Lost Profits not Lost Profits, holy cow, I did not buy a Lost Profits record, okay, sorry. <laughs> I'll cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> Lost Poets. And Last Poets. And I saw the look on his face when I brought that record out. He was so he was like shit. Cause he heard it and he played it in Jumbi, this place that we play in London, and he couldn't take it because it wasn't his. And uh, <laughs> I got it, and I gave it to him today. Oh. And he was so, so gassed. But I know I'm going to see it again. And if it made him that happy, it's all good. Yeah. It was 10 bucks. <laughs> I think it's important that, you know, you know what our intention with music is, what, what our intention when we're releasing music is, and while we're not looking, and you know, we do this for a living. This is our life. We don't necessarily expect some sort of golden elevator to the stars. I'm not, not trying to look for some Madonna lifestyle for me or Goya or anyone. We just, we want to make money. I want to make good money from it. I want to make a living from it. I want to provide for everybody that works on it within the chain. But I don't want that artistic freedom to be exploited. I don't want that to be exploited. I don't want my people to be exploited, basically. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes for every single person that's ever picked up a guitar. Mm-hmm. Because the artistic impulse shouldn't have to be capitalised, but it is. Yeah. And I think it's like, it's up to people like you, and, and I think it's up to people like me as well that understand the ins and outs and the contracts and have learned to do those things and I don't know I like to teach like that's the way I look at it I look at it as I'm a protector of this individual and and if they are able to educate themselves then they're able to protect themselves and not that it they not that they need protecting but that there's I just like to be the person in the room looking out for the right reasons you know um, it's, 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 it's credit to you for, for saying that. I think people are also finding their way around the industry sort of mm-hmm. uh, approach. And, you know, one of my favorite rappers at the moment is Carr, and he has this project called Orpheus, which I cannot stop listening to on Spotify. He's got like 40,000 plays. I must be 33 of those. And Goy is the other 7,000. <laughs> But um, that record is $350, and mm. it's $350 because they released it at $250, and that is a statement. Mm. You are buying, you are, buy this on camp, Bandcamp, 
particularly on Bandcamp Monday, and I'm going to get 95% of that money. And that money is going to pay the rent, pay the studio fee, pay the designer to get through. And it's a way of boycotting the system. And there's a lot of talk about NFTs, like saving the world and whatever, but I don't know about that. But that's a physical NFT. Yeah. That LP that you got in your hands that you paid £250 for from Bandcamp, that's a physical NFT because that is not going to go down in price. That's going up in price. And you are directly supporting the artist. Go to gigs, pay the full fee, don't ask for guests, buy the merch from the merch stand, say hello to the artist, get them to sign the merch because they appreciate that. Yeah. It starts on an individual level and that's how you're able to make an impact further, you know, by doing those things. Yeah. Don't take it for granted. No. Don't take any of this stuff for granted. Like, get involved. Be, get, to the, get to the fucking point of creation and as close as you can to it and stay there as long as you can. What would you say to the younger version of yourself? <sighs> Man, how long have I got? Mm. <laughs> I'm you, you have time. You have time. There's lots of stuff about girls, but I don't think that's why you asked. Um, <laughs> just <clears throat> play the piano and don't stop playing the piano. Play the piano consistently and keep playing it. Um, and it's just, I think, it's, I think the same, everybody answers the same question, this question in the same way. And they just say, just trust yourself. It's going to be okay. Don't sweat it too hard. You're not that ugly. You're not that skinny. You're not that spotty. You're not that slow. You're not that thick. You're not that, you're not that undesirable. You're just, it's okay. It's you. Some people are not going to like you. Some people are going to like you. It's all right. You're going to be all right. Keep at it. Don't be a dick. <laughs> Thank you. Be nicer to your younger brother. That's mm. what I really wish. Man, sorry, Jules. <laughs> <laughs> We're friends now. It's all good. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you, man. It's a blessing. Yeah. Big up New York. Yeah. It's great to be here. New York is, 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 is a um, mecca for us. It's, it's like a... For me, as someone that hasn't grown up here, coming here is the home of Nas. It's the home of... Jay Z, it's the home of it's the home of hip hop, and it's 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 great to be here. We're happy to have you. Thank you.